0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings, and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. I'm so glad to be with you all. I'm stoked to share God's word with you. Um, as I mentioned in my prayer, be praying for Pastor Ryan and his family as they're still away. Um, but I'm blessed with the opportunity to teach you God's word this morning. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Liam. I'm the youth ministry director here, and I love teaching God's word. And so I'm excited to jump into it with you all. So if you have your Bibles, turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to be starting in verse 16 and going through verse 10. Of chapter 12. Because you're like, is he going backwards? No, verse 10 of chapter 12. Um, I'm really excited that I got this passage. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And this is probably one of the, I would say, the more fun passages in Second Corinthians. So um, I'm excited. So verse 16, we'll pick it up. And if you guys could stand with me as we read God's word. Verse 16. Paul says, again, I say, let no one think me foolish. But if you do, Receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, There is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the Ethnarch under Eretus the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, or he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, And I am strong. You may be seated. So, in this section, we've been in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul has been defending his apostolic authority to the believers in Corinth. Prominent people had come into the church and they had won over the people because they were charismatic speakers and they had great speaking ability and they just were charismatic people in general. And as a result of this, Um, As a result of their teachings, the believers in Corinth, they began criticizing Paul and his ministry because he wasn't a super amazing speaker. That's come up several times because he didn't charge them for money either, which is expected in that culture. And in response to this, Paul has defended his behavior and characteristics as an apostle and has rebuked these prominent men who he sarcastically, he refers to them as the most eminent apostles or the super apostles, some translations say which is one of my favorite things to say ever. It cracks me up. But two weeks ago, Pastor Kevin showed us that Paul had a pastor's heart for these people. He had a pastor's heart because his desire was to create a pure and simple devotion to Christ. Because the Corinthians, they were saved by the grace of Jesus, and so Paul's desire now is that they live and they act in a way that reflects God's heart towards all people. And then last week, Pastor Kevin talked about verses 5 through 15 of this chapter, and in this section, Paul clarifies his motivations behind how he acted toward the Corinthians, and in doing so, he also exposed the wicked heart of the super apostles, and Paul literally calls them, he calls them servants of Satan, which is like, whoa, he's really serious about this. And through the section, Kevin showed us five distinct characteristics that we as disciples should have today as we submit to the Holy Spirit. That being that a discerning disciple should seek and share the whole truth. A discerning disciple seeks godly humility. A discerning disciple recognizes burdens. And a discerning disciple knows God's love. And a discerning disciple sees through disguises. And as we head into this next section, Paul's continuing in this theme of defending his ministry. And he's going to discuss his own ministry and his own credentials. And through it, I think we'll see the heart that we as believers should have. So picking up in verse 16, he says, Again I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What I'm saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. This is actually the second time that Paul has asked for the Corinthians not to think of him as foolish. He asked the same thing in verse 1 of this chapter when he said, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. And then here he adds to it, and he says that he's actually not speaking as the Lord would, but as in foolishness. That doesn't mean he's not speaking God's words. What he's saying is that he's speaking in a foolish manner. And the foolishness he's talking about is he's about to go, which we just read, he's about to go through this long section of boasting about his ministry and about himself. And before we get there, I think it's important that we know why Paul is doing this because Paul's been dealing with this church that has been questioning his authority as an apostle. And this section of the letter, it's designed to correct them for rejecting his ministry and his authority to speak into their lives. So Paul isn't trying to wrestle for their praise and he's not trying to say, look at me guys, I'm better than them. Like that's not the point. As you go through, you'll slowly realize that Paul really doesn't care what they think about himself, but he wants to secure his authority so that he's able to speak into their lives. So this is actually for them. And Paul will later say this in 2 Corinthians, that this is about them. It's about building them up. And he can't do that if they don't trust his authority. So here he is. So what Paul is saying is like, hey, guys, even though I'm about to boast about me, this is a really foolish thing to do. I'm foolish because I really don't want to talk about me at all. I just want to talk about Jesus. But you guys are making me do this. He literally says that in chapter 12, that you made me do this. So now I have to. So here we go. Um, and after all of Paul's ministry in Corinth, he really shouldn't have to do this. He really shouldn't have to prove himself. He said in chapter 3, because they're asking for letters of commendation from Paul, that he would like be able to validate himself as an apostle. He's like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, You are my letter of recommendation. The reason you know the Lord is because of me, because I ministered to you. But... They're not accepting that, and so Paul now has to prove himself to them in this way. So verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, he's so sarcastic, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. There's sarcasm laced through this whole thing because he's basically saying, listen, if other people can boast about their achievements, he's talking about the super apostles, like why can't I do that? After all, you guys are so wise and you listen to them, so surely you can bear with me for just a little bit as I boast about myself. Here's the deal. The Corinthians were the opposite of the discerning disciples that that Kevin taught about last week. They weren't seeking diligently to be loving and humble disciples of jesus and as a result they actually become susceptible to the super apostles false teachings and quite frankly they were pushovers they were just willing to accept whatever that's why he's like you guys put up with foolishness gladly and they'll put up with all kinds of bad treatment from their favorite leaders because they were taken in by their charisma and charm and the same thing can happen to us as believers today and it does Because we, if we're not continuing to be diligent disciples who are grounded in the truth of God's word, we'll believe lies, we'll be susceptible to the craftiness of false teachers. And that's why in the book of Ephesians, Paul says this about those who have reached maturity in their faith. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And then notice this, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And so the Corinthian church really should be a heart check for us. When we see these people pushed around by false teachers and taken in just because they were charismatic, it should be a warning to us that we should be mature believers in Christ. Otherwise, not only can we, like life circumstances, shake us, but also we can be mistreated by wolves in sheep's clothing. And so it's an important reminder, like, man, am I reading God's word? Am I diligently seeking the truth, not just what sounds good? But true apostles of Christ, they're not like that. Because true apostles of Christ, like Paul, they use their authority to encourage and build up the church body. That's why Paul, again, sarcastically in verse 21, is like, gee, I'm embarrassed to say I think we were too weak to abuse you like those guys do. Like, forgive me that we were so weak that we couldn't do that. And so Paul now is going to move into the boasting section of this letter. And I want to ask you a question, because if you were Paul and you're in this circumstance and people are questioning you after all your hard work and you've been pushed into this place where now you have to boast, what do you think you would boast about if you were him? Like if you were Paul and you had his life experience, what would you brag about? Because for me, if I was him, I'd be like, well, let me tell you guys, because I've planted over a dozen churches. I was a Pharisee, which means I have the entire Bible memorized. The Lord has used me to heal the sick. I blinded a guy on command once. I even raised someone to life when he fell out a window and died. Like, I've done some cool stuff, but he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't do that, and why doesn't he do that? It seems like the obvious thing. Because if he bragged like that, he would be just like the super apostles. He'd be no different than them. And here's the key, Paul is not like them. And that's the point he's making. He doesn't wanna be regarded as they are. And so he's gonna brag about other things. Because his goal, not just here in this letter, but in his life is this, it's to do the Lord's will. It's to do the Lord's will here on the earth and to do it faithfully and to glorify God. So as we go through this passage, I want to show you that there's going to be three things I'm going to point out to you as we go that Paul is content with in order to meet this goal. And so we'll start in verse, the rest of verse 21 in just a second. So, rest of verse 21. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. So, Paul begins this section of boasting, and he says, Listen, if those super apostles are bold, I'm just as bold as they are. If they're going to brag about themselves, so can I. And then he brings up his ancestry. That's the first point he makes. Apparently, this is something that the false teachers were bragging about. So, Paul claims it as well. He's like, Listen, they're no different than me. Like, he wasn't just a descendant of Abraham, he was a full blooded Hebrew. This is important because Paul is trying to claim his apostolic authority, so that's why he brings that up. And then, things get crazy, Paul is literally bold enough to claim that he's a better follower of Jesus than they are. He's like, yeah, I'm a better follower. But here's what's interesting. He says it's because he labors more than them. And that Greek word for labor, it means intense labor united with toil and trouble. It's hard, painful work. And then... To prove that he works hard, Paul doesn't list out his accomplishments like you think he would. Instead, he lists out all the ways that he suffered. Which brings me to the first point, if you guys are taking notes, a true disciple is content with suffering. A true disciple is content with suffering. This is a hard life that Paul has lived. He's beaten multiple times, he was literally stoned once, he's constantly in danger on his travels in danger from every group of people, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, even people in the church who claim to be Christians, but really are false brethren. And if that wasn't bad enough, there's also the physical challenges he goes through of hunger and thirst and lack of sleep and frigid temperatures. If you read through the book of Acts, you will clearly discover that Paul suffered a lot. He went through a lot of bad stuff. And if that wasn't bad enough, he also dealt with the constant anxiety of his care for the churches. That's how he caps it off. Because this is really interesting. Paul, he didn't view God's people as numbers on a spreadsheet. It wasn't like he went around, he's tallying, I've got 30 people in this city and 20 people in this city, and great, I'm doing well. He loved these people. He loved them individually. And he was genuinely concerned about them. He was concerned if they were walking in unrepentant sin, They're being persecuted, they're struggling in their faith, that bore on his heart. That's why he says things like this in his letters to the churches. He says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And it's because of his great care for them that he was burdened for them. That kind of burden, especially with the amount of churches that Paul planted, like that weighs on a person, heavy. All those life circumstances, all their troubles, all their struggling with sin, all their struggling in their faith, all their persecution, all the people who were martyred for their faith, like that weighed on this man. So Paul's ministry, as joy-filled as it was, it was a weighty one. That kind of ministry, it's hard. And the question, obviously, then when you read this is like, Why is he still doing this? Why is he still going? Why doesn't he just stop? It's because he loves the Lord. It's because he loves Jesus and he wants to do his will. After Paul had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, his salvation experience, God sent a disciple named Ananias to go pray for him. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 9. But this is what God told Ananias about Paul when he sent him to pray for him. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul's suffering, when he went through hard things, it actually demonstrated that he was doing the will of the Lord. Like this was the Lord's will for his life. It's not like he was in sin. It's not like, oh, he messed up and now life's hard. It's like, actually, he did the right thing, and that's why it's hard. And so Paul suffered, but he loved Jesus so much that he was willing to throw away his cush life as a Pharisee. He was a well-respected man. Like, many people looked up to him and honored him, and he said, forget it. Forget it. I don't need that. Why? Because he says in Philippians, like, he considers all that garbage for the sake of knowing Jesus. And so if this is what it means to know and follow Jesus, that he suffers, then he's content with that and he'll accept it gladly. He knew full well that it meant suffering. That doesn't stop him. You can hear his heart come through in Acts 21, verse 13, when he says this, Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Because this is the contrast between Paul and the super apostles. Because unlike the super apostles, Paul didn't view his ministry as a way to be served. This wasn't about getting service from other people. This was his platform to serve people. That's why he's fighting so hard for it, not so that he can lord it over people, but so that he can serve them. That's why in the closing verses of this section, Paul asks this super poignant question. He says, who is weak without my being weak? It's kind of a weird thing to say. It's like, I thought you were bragging. What are you talking about being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern. The point here is that Paul's pastoral heart, it's on display here because he boasts of the fact that, listen, I love you so much that it makes me weak. I love you so much that it actually makes me suffer with you. And these things that they're saying about Paul, they hurt him. It actually burdens him. The super apostles would have never said anything like this. That would have made them look weak and it would have ruined their charismatic image that they tried so hard to keep up. But for Paul, his suffering and his anxiety, it marked that he cared about the Corinthians sacrificially. And so his suffering, it made Jesus' work and his life so clear. And the question is, what about you and I? What about us? Like, do we serve and love Jesus despite the pain that it causes us? Because Paul's painful life, it should be a heart check for us. Our lives probably don't look as bad as Paul's does. I don't think we've been stoned or beaten multiple times. If you have, come talk to me. I want to hear your story. But I somehow doubt that that's the case. But inevitably, and I mean inevitably, the Lord is going to ask each and every one of us to do something that's painful or uncomfortable. He will, because that's who Jesus was. He was self-sacrificing. And as we seek to be like him, it's inevitable we'll be asked to do something like that. Whether that be loving someone when it's hard, serving in a way that tires us out, giving our time and resources away to the kingdom of God, those are hard things. And the question is, are we so gripped by the love of Jesus, are we so captured by his love that we're willing to forsake those things to follow his will? And that's the question I want to leave with you guys here as we leave this section is like, am I willing to suffer like that for the sake of Jesus? Verse 31, verse 31. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Eratos the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. The story that Paul's referencing here takes place again in Acts chapter 9. It's right after he was converted. Because right after he's converted, really soon after he began preaching, In Damascus. He did such a good job and convinced people that some of the Jews pretty much immediately decide, we're gonna kill this guy. (laughs) So, what a way to start your ministry. Immediately trying to get killed. But they end up watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him. And so, in order to escape, Paul hops in a basket and they lower him out of a window in the city wall. And I want you to, this sounds like a cool story, but I want you to picture this for a second because Paul, the great apostle, The guy who literally wrote most of the New Testament is sitting crumpled up in a basket, and they let him out of this window in the dead of night so that he can flee for his life. This is an embarrassing story. This is humiliating. It really is. It might not sound that way, but I think it does. It's like, this is embarrassing. But the question is, why would he even bring it up? You'd think if he's in his bragging section, especially, he'd be like, yeah, that little embarrassing moment, we won't talk about that. But he brings it up specifically above the other stories. And it's like, why? It's because it highlights Jesus' work and his life despite the fact that it was humiliating. And so here's the second point I want to tell you guys. A true disciple is content with humility. This story, it makes Paul look foolish, but he endured these things and he willingly and gladly shares them and even swears like that the Lord knows that he's not lying about it just so that Jesus would be glorified through his life. He didn't even care how it made him look. He's like, forget it. I don't care. This makes my point clear. Jesus gets the glory. That's what I want. And we as people, as human beings, not just in America, I think especially here, but in general, we love a good reputation. That's what we love. We want other people to think really well of us. Even the Bible, it speaks really highly of having a good name. It's a good thing to have. That's why in Ecclesiastes 7.1, it says, a good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you were born. That's why it's so common for us as people to put up a face and pretend like we're fine all the time. We don't want others to know that we're weak. We don't want others to know that we're struggling. And we definitely don't want others to know that we're going through a hard time. That would make us look bad. And so Paul, he felt those things too. He was human. I'm sure he cared about his image and his pride. But he was willing to lay that down, his own name, his own reputation, just for the sake of serving and glorifying the Lord. That's why he's writing this letter in the first place. Think about it. The Corinthians have been so cruel to him. They've been the worst to him. He's poured out his life and his heart for them, and still they're questioning him. Like, that hurts. But Paul now still loves them and is still pouring out his life for them, even though they treated him like garbage, because he was willing to sacrifice his reputation. It's like, I don't care if you think poor of me. As long as you love the Lord, I'm Okay. And I guess the question I'm going to ask you is, are we willing to sacrifice that? Like We're Americans. We love our image. That's a really important thing to us. In the Corinthian culture, same thing. Americans, we fight on social media to make sure that we're, everyone knows that we're happy and healthy and we have no flaws and no problems. But today, if Jesus asked you to do something, and if he asked me to do something that would make us look foolish, that would embarrass you, would you do it? Would you do it even though it makes you look like a fool and that people might even laugh at you? This is a real challenge for me. It's a real heart check because those of you who know me well, you know one of my core struggles in life is wanting to please people. I want everybody in my life to think the best of me all the time. But there have been times in my ministry when I've let people down. and As I've tried to serve the Lord, I've let people down or hurt them because of my shortcomings my inexperience as a young person, or even because of my failure. That's damaging to my pride. It hurts. But I have two choices in that, right? I can either be angry and bitter and be like, God, why did you give me this life? Why did you ask me to do these things that I fail at? Why would you ask me to do something that's humiliating? Or I can say, Lord, I thank you that your name is increasing and mine is decreasing. God, I thank you that your name is more important than mine. And so I pray for me and for you that the Lord would protect us from bitterness. The bitterness of, oh my gosh, I don't, Lord, I don't want to be humiliated. I just want to hold on to my image that we wouldn't get mad at him or others because of that, but that we would say, Lord, I am happily willing to look like a fool for your sake. So verse one, Paul continues on. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do not wish or if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. So Paul, he continues boasting, and now he moves on to discussing a vision and a revelation he had. But it's interesting. He talks about it in the third person saying, I know this guy in Christ who had this vision instead of, oh, this was me. I had this vision. Talking in third person like this, actually a rabbi tradition, and Paul's writing in that style, but admittedly, it's kind of weird to read. But we do know that it's likely, most likely Paul, because he switches back to talking about himself in the first person in verse 7. But apparently, Paul had a vision of heaven that was so intense that he couldn't tell if he was physically in heaven or not. It was so real. And then while he's there, he he hears words that no one is allowed to speak. And it sounds like a really similar experience, actually, to the Apostle John in Revelation. He says this in Revelation 10:4, When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven pearls of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. So Paul, uh, sorry, not Paul, John also, he hears things that he can't speak about. So it seems to be a very similar kind of revelatory experience. And so... Paul, in verse 5, he says that he's going to boast on behalf of that guy who had the vision, but then he talks about himself and he says, I'm only going to boast about my weaknesses. And the question is like, why, Paul, why are you writing like this? Why don't I just keep going? Why not just take credit for the vision, especially if you're already in this section of boasting? It's because Paul wants to take as little of the attention as he can. Because think about it, this is pretty much the only positive experience that Paul mentions here. Other than his genetics and his Hebrew lineage he really only talked about his suffering and his humiliating story and that's it and now finally he's like I got something good to brag about and you'd think he would take credit for it but he credits it to some other guy instead and so it's like clearly his idea here is that he's trying to take very little credit and he doesn't want to brag about his own experiences he wants to brag about his weaknesses because his weaknesses they highlight the Lord's strength. Paul makes a really funny point in verse 6. He says, look, if I wanted to brag, if I wanted to just brag about all my credentials, I wouldn't be a fool because I'd just be speaking the truth. These are real about me. I really did all these things. That really happened. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because I'm not trying to have other people give me more credit than they see in me. So the whole point is that Paul is not trying to get recognition for this vision. He's only going to boast about his weaknesses. That's actually why he brought it up in the first place because this is a segue to get into why there is yet another weakness in Paul's life. Verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, so literally, because I had this vision, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Because Paul's vision is so amazing, the temptation would have been for him, because Paul was a man, is to become prideful and conceited about it and be like, yeah, I was caught up into God's throne room and heard things I can't talk about. Look at me. And so in order to keep him humble, the Lord allows Satan, which is crazy. He allows Satan to inflict Paul with what he calls a thorn in his flesh. This is a weakness that Paul had that, Satan used to poke at him and jab at him continually. Paul doesn't explicitly say what this weakness was, but whatever it was, it tormented him badly. It was hard for him. It bugged him enough that he actually prays three times that it would be removed from him. He's pretty passionate about this. Because although Paul bore suffering well, he didn't like suffering. That wasn't like, he wasn't into that. He's not a masochist. He, was, he was not, didn't just want to take suffering on himself, he didn't seek to bring pain upon himself, and neither should we, because suffering is only good when the Lord allows us to have it, not when he brings bring it upon ourselves, either as some sort of form of punishing ourselves or because of our own foolishness. That's not good suffering. The good suffering is when we suffer for the Lord's name. And so after seeking the Lord three times for this thorn to be removed from him, God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected and weakness. How many of you guys have heard that verse before? Most of you. Yeah, this is one of the most popular verses in the whole Bible. I would say it's some of the most beautiful words in the whole Bible, because even though Paul was weakened by his sufferings, his humiliation, and the thorn in the flesh, God still could use him powerfully. In fact, when God uses weak vessels, he gets more of the glory, not less, because it shows that God is strong enough to even use weak and foolish people to accomplish his will and to confound the wise. This is this is an idea that Paul's been building up to for a long time in this book. Because in chapter four, he says this in verse 7: But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. This is one of the most beautiful things about being a believer, because through all of our pain and all the shortcomings that we have, God still uses us. I'm sure you can take a look. I mentioned this in my prayer, but you could take a look inside and be like, I know what kind of person I am. Like, I stand before you guys as a sinful man, but by the grace and the Lord of Jesus, I can do his will. And I can obey him wherever he takes me. And this is the same thing that Paul is being promised by the Lord, is that the Lord will use him. And this is part of the reason that God allowed Satan to do this in Paul's life. Because the Lord allowed Satan to attack Paul, not because he hated Paul, not because he wanted to punish him, because he was making Paul a humble disciple who would bring him glory. And this thorn, it kept Paul from taking the glory for himself. But I want to dwell on the implications of this for a minute because it's easy to just see the the beautiful part of it and not realize this is kind of a mixed answer for Paul. This is a painful response because Paul prays three times for this to be removed and God just says, no. No, I'm not going to remove it. It's here to stay. It's here to stay, Lord Paul, because it accomplishes my will in your life and I'm not going to take it away from you which brings me to the last point, a true disciple is content with weakness. Because going forward now, Paul has to live with this thorn in the flesh every day because the Lord has said, this is my will for you. That's a painful realization to have. That thing you prayed for, the thing you wanted to be removed from your life, it's there to stay. It wasn't going anywhere. But Paul, he chooses the right attitude. Look at verses nine and 10. Most gladly, therefore... I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content. If you have, the can underline that. He's well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Rather than becoming bitter or cursing God for refusing to remove his thorn, Paul's like, This is awesome. He boasts in it. That's crazy. Why does he do that? Because Paul's encouraged by the Lord and he takes the proper perspective. This is an opportunity for Christ to meet his needs. So every day when that weakness flares up and Satan starts jabbing at him again, Paul's like, oh yeah, that's right. The Lord sustains me. The Lord's going to meet my needs again today. He's going to meet me with his grace and by his grace that he gives so freely, I get to do the Lord's will again. Like, that's beautiful. And it's not like he's just gritting his teeth and bearing it like, fine, God, I guess I'll take it. He says he is well content with the thorn in his flesh. Not just that, but all his difficulties. Some translations say Paul takes delight or takes pleasure in it. How in the world could anyone do that? Like, that's superhuman. It's because Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is a changed man with God's perspective. Because... He is doing all this. He's willing to be weak, insulted, anxiety-ridden, persecuted, and challenged for Christ's sake. When Paul is weak, Jesus is strong in him. And as we close this morning, I want to ask all of us, and myself certainly included, are we well content with these things in our lives? If Jesus asks us to suffer for him, to look foolish for him, or even if he decides that a weakness in our life, it needs to stay for us to better glorify him, are we okay with that? Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm ready? Because a true disciple is content with suffering, humility, and weakness for Christ's sake. That's the motivation. For Paul, this isn't about looking tough. This isn't about making it through life and gritting it and putting on the smiley face. That's not what this is about. Everyone well knew that Paul suffered and was grieved by his suffering. But it was because he loved the Lord, and his goal was the same as the Lord's goal, that he was fine, and he had joy. If we're not okay with these things, the question that I would ask you, if you're reading these things, you're like, man, I'm not okay with this. The question is, and for myself, is what other things have taken the throne on our heart? What else is on the throne of our heart? Perhaps that's our comfort. Maybe it's the respect and admiration of other people. Or maybe even our own strength, our own ability to make it through life has become an idol in our hearts. And those idols, they're exposed when hardship comes in your life and you become bitter and angry. And if that's you, um, I'll say a couple things. One, if Christ's glory is really the goal of our lives, we don't have to be bitter. Because and when I say we don't have to be, I mean that we are free to let go of bitterness, we don't have to hold on to it anymore. It has no power over us because we are followers of Jesus. And we can say, Lord, I get to be used by you today, despite my weakness. But if you're here and you're wrestling through these idols in your heart, I am absolutely not here to condemn you. Because these are idols I'm wrestling through in my heart right now. Because as the Lord has given me more responsibility in my life and in ministry, I've wrestled with these things. Because the idol of comfort, it's challenged whenever God asks me to do something hard. And the idol of people's respect, it's challenged when God stretches me in new ways that humble me in front of people. and the idol of my pride, it's challenged when Jesus allows me to be weak for his sake. But the beauty of this is that Christ's grace is sufficient for me in all of my weaknesses, and it's sufficient for you. That's the joy, is that, man, you are free. Your weakness doesn't have power over you. Your suffering, it doesn't have power over you because God's grace is sufficient for you, and he'll meet your needs. And if he asks you to do something, you can well believe that he's gonna give you the strength and the joy to do it. And his mercy, if you're like, man, I just need to overcome these idols in my heart, guess what? His mercy is enough for that too. That's why we're here today. The church is a hospital for sinners. That's why we're here today, because we are broken people. And so if that's you, I would urge you, I beg you that you would come before the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me. Give me your heart. Give me a heart that's willing to do anything for you. Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together.